Well, I always wonder about that when you're getting your hair cut. Like, you know, do you, how much are you distracting the work? I know. Like if, you know, I often, I feel like this is like a personal, intimate thing. This person's like touching your body, your hair. It's just like, I ha- is- we should have a conversation. And then I think to myself, I better shut the hell up. Yeah. Because uh, what if I really distract them? You know? I feel like this is also, this could be an episode of Curb where Larry David is trying to figure this out. But I, I was thinking the same thing. Like you want to be, you want to be friendly. You want to have a rapport, but yeah. you got to know when to like cut it off because somebody's about to cut it off. Yeah. I did the, I yeah. did the scissors motion for cut listeners. It out. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined as always by Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie. Here. Here yeah. with some bangs. <laughs> Reporting for duty. Reporting for duty. Um, we have a great guest today, Lakita Clear, who's the CEO of Clear Communication Academy. And she coaches CEOs, entrepreneurs, leaders on how to be better communicators and storytellers. So this is a this is a great one. Got some good advice out of this for myself. It's always a nice benefit when we're doing the show. (laughs) Always, always something, you know, good to put in your pocket for a rainy day. (laughs) Yeah. But first, what's going on? What what are you talking to a lot about? You know, I, I sort of hinted at it, not so subtly at the beginning of this. I'm talking too loud about bangs and how sometimes, you know, this is actually, this is relevant to the interview. You have a slight miscommunication with your yeah. hairdresser and you say give me a long layer and mm. he says nothing but gives you bangs so well, congratulations you know i'm trying to adjust i i had mm. bangs intentionally once before in my life and you know looking back it vaguely looked like i was wearing a wig so <laughs> i'm trying to just you know i'm i'm going with it you know what i think with headphones on doesn't look like a wig <laughs> <laughs> so I will at least when we're recording, uh, it doesn't look it doesn't look wig like at all. There's no wig wiggishness. <laughs> I will say, I actually didn't know I was going to be talking about this, but clearly it's just top of mind. I will say, in the interview coming up, I feel like I got some tips on how the next time I go to my hair cutter, I, I know what to do. I know what to do. Yes. So listeners You're have a great pitch for what your hair should look like. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have gonna a great just hook, draw them in a great pitch. I'm going to tell yeah. a story. Mm-hmm. And on that note, what's got you talking too loud? You know, so I was just on vacation um, in Grenada, which is beautiful. Never in been. The Caribbean. I had never been until this vacation and it was lovely. It was very relaxing. And I, I brought a couple books with me. And I read uh, one of them a third of the way through. I didn't like it. And it turns out they had like a bookshare thing. So I gave it to the bookshare. Oh, nice. Didn't take another one. It was great. <laughs> uh, but it was it was lovely to like, I really turned off. I turned off the email. I turned off Slack and left my phone up in the room. It was pretty exciting. That's, I was shocked. Yeah. That's a big deal to like fully yeah. disconnect. And it was fun. The kids were having a great time and just like, you know, like sunny and warm. Um, it was also fun because when we were there, the U.S. men's national soccer team happened to also be there because they were playing Grenada uh, in soccer on Friday. And so suddenly you saw all these people who were very fit, all wearing like USA gear show up 
and just like kind of take over the hotel we're at. And uh, the <laughs> my kids were like, what are they doing? Why are they all wearing the same thing? What's going on? <laughs> like, it was this like very bizarre. It was just great. It was yeah. great. That's yeah. surreal for anyone in that situation. Yeah, I was, to, I was to my family, like, this is not normal to my children. <laughs> um, and uh, then the U.S. played them and they won uh, eight to one. Whoa. And we watched it a little bit in the bar and it was um, disappointing to um, everyone from Grenada. So hmm. that was, uh, you know, it was a mixed emotions in that moment. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. People are sad. But you know you want to be patriotic. It's it's, it's a hard thing. <laughs> You're basically looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you saying any of this? And I can't really tell you, except I'm a transparent person. I'm trying to put these stories out there. I'm trying to show who I am, and I'm trying to hook people uh, so that they want to listen to the episode. And so, with that, let's go to the expert on all of those things, Lakita Clear. Lakita, so nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to be here. How are you? I'm always good. I'm always good. <laughs> even, even when I'm tired or when I'm not good, I'm good. You're good. That's an amazing skill. Um, I, want, I want that. trait, I guess I should say. No, it, it's, it seriously is. You wake up and you're like, I'm ready to rock like every morning. What's your secret? My secret is to do things that you like to do. That's my secret. Do things you want to do in your life, and then you'll be good even when you're jet lagged or tired. Okay. We've already gotten a nugget from this interview because I think <laughs> what you said is very simple, but very profound. I 100% wholeheartedly agree. Like I, I've been doing this at Wistia for a long time, and the only reason is I actually enjoy it. You know, you can't do uh-huh. hard stuff for a long time otherwise. So if people take that away and just that, I think we're in good shape. Um, but I'm excited to have you here on the show. Excited to be talking to that with you. As you know, when I get excited, I can't control the volume of my voice. Um, and I speak too loudly and I'm constantly having to dial down my microphone. We spent some time <laughs> before this meeting all making sure our microphones are at the right level. <laughs> but we like to start the show by asking our guests what's got them talking too loud. What are they excited about right now? So I'd love to hear what's got you talking too loud these days. I am talking loud because I'm doing a storytelling event. Like, that's freaking cool. Like, I've always wanted to do it. I'm doing it. So that has me excited right now. That's awesome. Tell me about it. What is it? Yeah, it's a two-day conference, but it's all around storytelling. And it's in Los Angeles. Who doesn't want to be in Los Angeles when it's actually sunny, which it hasn't been lately, but that's another topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so two days of understanding how to tell better stories, whether it's for yourself or your brand and networking and parties. That's a lot to get into two days, actually. Like it's telling a great difficult. story is hard. Yeah, well, you know, it's a lot to get into two days. So I'm hoping people actually go home and do something and, and build upon what they've learned. But we're kind of giving them the nuggets. I don't want to say it's an anti-conference, but it's kind of like the opposite of the average conference where you go and you're like sitting passively listening. This yeah. is like, get up, do something, be an active participant in your learning type thing. I love that. It's funny. We had um, Brian from Turing Fest on the show recently, cool. and we talked a lot about like how conferences can change. And one of the things we brought up is this idea of having people watch the content in advance or listen to it or read it. And then using the rare opportunity of having everyone together in person 
differently yeah. and having them like enact and try things and play together and do stuff that you can only really do well in person. So it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing. That's actually really cool. It is exactly what we're doing. I've been to, I feel like a million conferences, maybe not quite a million, but like one less than a million. Yeah. And it's usually like, I'm listening and I'm like, wow, you know, Brad Pitt came or all these cool people came and it's great. And I get inspired, but I never get to do. So this is like out of your comfort zone. You want to be a better speaker. Get up. Let's watch you now. Go. <laughs> kind of like that. And do you think it's become more important to tell Good stories. I think that it has become more important. I, I think it's kind of always been important, but now people are realizing because we're in such an information age and people are getting bombarded with information. So now, especially where people can get information from anywhere, I think it's important to see how you wrap up that information into something that feels engaging and connected. And how do you tell a good story? And I, I know we don't have two days right now, so, <laughs> you, you know, but what makes a good story? Like, what's the most obvious thing that people miss when they're trying to tell a story that makes it go from, you know, bad to good or good to great? The missing element, I think, are, I think the emotion a lot of times is the missing element that I find in more of a business in a corporate world. Because people are like telling you a timeline of things. They're like, then I did this. Then I graduated from here. And you're like, okay, great. But what is the emotion? That's what makes a story. So I think kind of understanding the emotion and the conflict. Nobody wants to hear your perfect story about how you started your business and you've always been successful and now you're making billions. Like We want to know the ups and downs. So I think that's a another important thing is like a story has to have a conflict. I want to go slightly deeper on that because... The emotion at work, like, and the lack of it, I think is a huge opportunity. It makes perfect sense. We're all human beings, right? Like, it's easy to forget that, especially in B2B, but it's a human being. Like, you're, you're trying to get a human being to use your product. You're trying to get a human being to maybe save some time or make more money in their business or get a promotion or do something. But it's like your human needs of things that are happening. But the conflict, I think a lot of people shy away from. Uh, they get afraid of conflict fear of talking about competition or other things. And like, can you just go a little bit deeper on that? Like, how do you bring conflict into a story that is being used at work? Yeah. So one great way that I think you can bring conflict in is kind of meeting the customer or consumer where they are. So sometimes a consumer has a problem and you're like, yes, my product can fix or help that problem but you're not relatable. So is there a conflict or is there something that even happened in your life where you were sort of relatable to that customer and you can use that conflict because now they say, oh, wow, Chris knows exactly where I'm coming from. And because of whatever product or service or whatever you learned, you were able now to kind of have this or see this new world or have changed your problem. So I think we forget about that relatability. I've personally used it a lot of times with clients. Sometimes they think I know everything because I'm a storyteller. And I'm like, no, I might know a lot of things now. But when I kind of use that conflict or I tell them about times in my life where I was just like them, I think that is a good way to kind of connect and bring in some conflict. So you're saying it doesn't necessarily have to be conflict you know, with other companies or products or whatever. It can be like an internal conflict that somebody has, but like leaning into that to help tell a good story. 
Absolutely. I don't think it it always has to be a conflict where you speak about another company. I think it's a conflict that you have. There's a conflict that one of your past customers maybe had that is relatable also to that person you're speaking to. And how is your product able to solve a problem for someone else? Yeah. I love that because it's so easy to be vanilla and not try to put that into your communications. And of course, to your point, like no one wants to hear the story about the billion dollar company that just had success all the way. That's not that's not that, that interesting. But a redemption story, yeah. you know, if something went really wrong, got kicked out of your last company, or you know, <laughs> something whoa, 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 happened, whoa. the market disappeared, and then you came back. What? What are you talking about? Rose <laughs> from the ashes. Uh, yeah. Redemption. Redemption, redemption stories. Okay, so we've gone a little deep, fast. Let's zoom back out. Lakita, you're an international speaker. You're a public speaking coach. You're the CEO of Clear Communication Academy. Can you tell me, how did that happen? Like, how did you get into storytelling? And yeah, like, why, why did you see this as such like an interesting opportunity? Okay, so the story goes something like this. I was like dreaming in Chicago of being like a Meryl Streep or an Angela Bassett. And I never got that. So here I am. So that's kind of <laughs> the short part of the story. But the, the longer part of the story was I'm from Chicago and I was always excited by stories. I was like, I want to go to Hollywood and I want to get into acting. And I did move to Hollywood where, where I'm at now. But I started realizing because of my storytelling work that I could actually have more of an impact in the business world and with people who are outside of of Hollywood. So I initially came in like, I just love stories. And this is kind of how I got into it. I moved here. And then I started kind of working with big companies, consulting on the side. I was also working with CEOs of large companies, helping them as speaker, helping them also with their stories. And then I got really kind of connected to a lot of international people who knew it wasn't like I signed up and was like, I'm going to work internationally. Yeah. It's like you work with one person and they're like, can you come to Switzerland? You're like, hmm, let me think. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> so it really just came out of like finding that you had a knack for it and finding your way into it. Yeah. So I kind of had a knack for it. But when I was in Chicago, I remember I got an agent and it was like the excitement of my life. Like, oh, this is what you do. You get yeah. an agent. And the first yeah. gigs that the agent got me were like speaking gigs. So you wanted to be an, an actor. And then they yeah. said, hey, I, I can get you these these gigs. Tell me about this. And how do you even decide what to speak on? Or is it like... Yeah, it's actually so odd because companies also at that time were doing like industrial films. So you would either have mm. like a spokesperson for something, you'd have an industrial film. So I'd be the person where like, wow, she's going to be great to be on the video, our training video. And so when I got this agent, I remember them calling me and being like, we have gigs for you. And I'm like, yes. And then it was speaking gigs or it was like corporate training videos. Like I did McDonald's and R.R. Donnelly. And it was like embarrassing at the time. Like I didn't tell any of my actor friends because I was like, this is not real. Yeah. Like, this is not for real. Like this is not real <laughs> acting. So it was just like I take the money and it's like the biggest secret there is. But then I, I started kind of liking it. And I was always a person even in college that was like helping people with their presentations. So I, I majored in psychology and theater. So people were like, can you help me with my presentation? And mm -hmm. then it kind of developed into more. So I kind of, I had business before I had an official company. I already had clients. That's awesome. Um, yeah. How much of an impact do you think theater had? Theater had a huge impact on me. Theater, I think, had a 
a big impact because not only did I have to learn how to connect to emotions, but you had to learn how to be comfortable just being out in front of people. And for me, that was a a game changer, having to get up on stage and also having an audition. Like, that's brutal, Mm. folks. Like, going on auditions and having to stand up there and put yourself out there. So now I'm like, I I passed all that. I passed passed Hollywood, like, ripping me apart. I'm good. Like, I can can stand up somewhere. I'll figure it out. And how do you, you know, because I... I never really did theater as as a kid, and I regret it. Like now, I realize like there's like I would have gotten a lot out of it, um, and it turns out I'm a pretty dramatic person. But I, you know, when I started giving talks and had to figure it out, I was like, whoa, I am not used to this. You know, it yeah. was like very hard. Like the first few talks, like was very stressed um, about the performance aspect, about like the information, about like why anyone should listen to me, about why my stuff was valuable or what have you. I've now given many talks a lot, right? And I have to be out there all the time and I've come to really love it and enjoy it and realize like if I do the right prep, Mm -hmm. then I can actually go up there and not say the script in a good way. But if I don't do enough prep, I like end up um, just sticking to the script, which might be okay, but doesn't to me feel as like as genuine of a performance. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying all this because I'm I'm wondering as someone who gives like advice and how do you help people get into that state? Like, do you, is there something from theater that you go to or think about that you hand folks like when you're coaching them to be a more confident speaker? Well, one thing I think is a game changer is the ability to improv. Like this is game changer. I don't care if you're giving big speeches, if you're speaking in meetings, if you're speaking to customers. I think that's one of the things that theater teaches you because they're, it's not like film. Film, they're yelling cut and you're redoing it. Yeah. So this, the fact that you have to be up there and be able to think on your feet, I think that's kind of training that everybody should think through. And it doesn't mean you have to run to take an improv class. It just means you have to kind of train those muscles so that if you do forget or you're not prepared or you don't have time that you know, you can really work on what would you say when you're thinking on your feet. I think also when you're comfortable at improv, you are less nervous. You're less nervous because you know something happens. You're like, okay, I can rely on my own voice. Do you think everyone should like take improv classes or do you think, is there some other way to do that to get comfortable there? If you can take an improv class, yeah, take one. It's also just fun. Another way that you can do that, I mean, it is. Do you think if you fun. listen to enough comedy podcasts, uh, yeah. you can do it? Will just happen to you? It'll just kind of <laughs> happen naturally. Yeah. Osmosis. Yeah. It'll just like, it'll like seep into your brain or something. Yeah. I think that's fun. But if you can't, not everybody's going to run to an improv class. I think you can yeah. also train yourself. I mean, there are simple things that you can do, even deciding, I'm going to practice for five minutes. I'm going to give myself random topics to speak about, or I'm going to give myself 60 seconds to come up with an impromptu speech, come up with your structure, and then even deliver it to your camera. These are things that you can practice weekly at home. Yeah. It's being intentional is your point and saying like, I'm, yes. I need to practice this. I need to put myself into a position where I need to think on my feet in front of people. Yes. And I, I think what I liked the word that you said, Chris, is intentional. I feel like with speaking, because everybody technically can speak, we think we don't need to work on it. 
But yeah. you would never do that with anything else. You would never yeah. say, oh, well, I know how to market without having any idea or taking oh, any yes. classes. But with speaking, yes. we're just like, oh, I, I don't need to work on it. And then when mm. we stand up to speak in front of people, when we're terrified, we're wondering why. It's because you didn't, you weren't intentional about it. You didn't work on it. It's a muscle. It's a skill like anything else that takes practice. And and there's a lot of times you can also practice in everyday ways with your customers. Oh, I'm going to try to be more dynamic today when I speak with customers or with your team. You know what? I'm going to tell a 30-second story when I kick off our meeting. There's a lot of ways you can be intentional about practicing. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's you've nailed something there of we speak all the time, talking all day. Why is it so hard if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting in the front row of an audience, I'm fine. If I step three feet up and turn around, like it, it's easy to think that I don't have my ability to talk anymore. True. You know? I just think it's a really common experience. Yeah. And then it's also very easy to critique speakers. So it's easy to critique yourself. Yeah, I think one of the things you said is it's pure mindset, though. So if you're talking to me, you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm having a conversation. Suddenly you have to stand up and it's not a conversation anymore. You're like, people are looking at me. Am I going to forget what I'm going to say? What should I do with my hands? All of this stuff gets into your head, but it's really a conversation. I, I think it's kind of a just a one to many. And also one of the things that kind of keeps me excited and not nervous is just thinking always about the message that you're trying to share. I can't both think about that and the excitement of it and also wondering what to do with my hands. So you have to kind of change that mindset a little bit, which I know is hard. That is hard, but it is great advice. And I think it's like, there was a moment for me when I realized like, it's like clarity of the message is what I'm going for, not like an engaging talk. And I think like, when I used to think I need to make an engaging talk. I was like, well, what jokes am I putting in? What am I, you know? And I'm, I'm like worried about this other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the message necessarily. Yeah. And then if you, if you try one of those jokes and they don't work, it's like, uh-oh. And then when I flipped <laughs> it around to be around clarity, I personally have a much easier time making jokes that hit because I think I'm like more comfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's interesting the difference on like, what are you trying to do? And I'm, I'm hearing a lot of like, be intentional, like be intentional about trying to get the right message across, be intentional about the fact that it's a different thing than, mm -hmm. you know, just talking normally, even though the volume of your voice might be the same and the topics might be the same. And even the people you're talking to might be the same. Um, it is different to be speaking and, you know, perf not performing, I guess. And that sets and reps matter, like, you know, getting in there and, and practicing matters. Yeah, it, it matters a lot. Also, I think it's important to think when we're speaking of kind of this goal. As you were talking, I was thinking, what is the overall goal? Even telling a story. So a lot of times people tell me, they're like, I don't know what story to tell. How do I know what story to tell? Well, what is your goal? Your goal is inspiration. Your goal is persuasion. When you think of that, creating the message and creating the story becomes much, much easier. And then you can think of what you need to do to engage, for example. So I, I see people, sometimes it might be someone who's like, I want to be inspiring. And then they put like 500 slides in the deck. And I'm like, by, you know, 499, like people are no longer <laughs> inspired. Like, think about that. You've worked with CEOs across the world on everything from internal comms to TED Talks. What are some of the most common mistakes we, yes, I'm including myself, uh, here make <laughs> when we're talking to audiences large and small? 
Mistakes. Okay. One mistake that I see is that people don't bring enough of their personality. And that is, I think, one of the hardest things to do. I've seen great speakers who still don't feel comfortable bringing their personality. So there's like a switch that comes on when we start speaking and it's like the presentation you. It's like, okay, yeah. now the presentation you is coming on and the fun personality that is kind of it's it's just kind of buried behind. So that's a, a mistake I see. Another mistake I see is people getting too caught up into whether they are memorized or not. So people are like, oh, I need to memorize. It's it's going to be more authentic if I memorize. And that is not necessarily true, folks. You mean instead of using, like thinking they can't use notes? Yeah, that's not true. People think that they can't use notes. So think about yeah. it. You put so much pressure on yourself that you have to be memorized. And then if you are not good at memorizing or if you just memorize, then what do I see when you start presenting? I see someone who's trying to recall what they just memorized and they're totally like not present. And that's not better than having something to read. Some of the best speakers you've seen were reading or they had teleprompter, as long as you know how to connect and, and keep it engaging and dynamic. Yeah. That's a good one. I've definitely made that mistake. Been too far too focused on memorizing things. I remember I gave a talk once. I was really proud of it, and I had a friend who was like smiling, you know, and it was helping me out. Um, and after I'm like, "What do you think?" And she was like, "I mean, it was really good. You really worked hard on memorizing that, didn't you?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and then I realized, oh, okay, like it was it was that obvious, wasn't it? <laughs> but that's it's an a, awesome I, comment. Oh, I love that yeah. comment. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you worked hard on the uh, memorization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is interesting. Like the things we like, the perceptions we have of like what a great talk is. Yes, you know, and we've all seen some of them, and like you know the Steve Jobs commencement talk, and like all these things. There's like, oh well, you know, it was easy to forget also that people were like reading those things, and they spent months prepping for them and then yeah. they still were able to deliver it in a way that has like a lot of emotion and relevancy yeah. and really personal and but that takes practice you can't just like write it down and memorize it and you also have to be pre i mean it's an interesting kind of thing to have to do both at the same time yeah it, it is the stanford that's one of my favorite yes. his stanford speech there's so much good in that but yes i i think it's like you when you watch someone else you realize that it doesn't have to also be perfect but when it's yourself, we're such hard critics. I'm actually the worst critic of myself. So we're such hard critics on ourselves that we think we have to be perfect or the hands have to be in the right place. But if you have a message and you're present and you're connecting and you have a structure, okay, now I'm saying a lot of things and people are like, wait, I need to have this, this, this. But if you have, if you have all of those things, the rest doesn't need to be exactly perfect because we want to see a human. We want to see someone who's present and connecting with us and not just like trying to tick all of the boxes as well. Let's go from talks to pitches, right? That's another thing you work with people on, right? It's like, yeah. how do you make a great pitch? Yeah, so I, I think it depends on the type of pitch. So we work on a lot of different types of pitch. Sometimes it's just connecting quickly with a client. And then we've worked with clients who were actually selling businesses or getting you know, trying to get funding. And a okay. couple of the things I would say is one is really understanding the unique value proposition. So everybody knows what they do. Any company can tell you that, 
But what I find that's often missing from a pitch is people saying, what is that unique quality? Unless you are the only company on the planet that does something, you really have to be able to say quickly what that unique value proposition is in your pitch. The other mistake I think people make is making the pitch too informational because everybody knows that you need to have the unique value proposition and maybe your numbers and maybe your plan. And we forget that the people listening to the pitch are also human. And so making sure you have something like an opening hook, if you have a founder's story or your origin story of why you, why are you so good at what you do, or why are you uniquely positioned to kind of bring this company to the next level? I think those are a few things to think about. So kind of your hook, the story, and making sure you have a very clear, unique value proposition. So can we go deeper? Let's talk about the hook. I feel like a hook for a pitch has become so even more important in the world we're in with like unlimited things competing for everyone's attention. How do you make a great hook? Yeah, that, that's a good question. It depends on the type of audience. But I want to ask you something, Chris. Has there ever mm -hmm. been a time in your life where you thought about what you could do to be a more dynamic speaker? Absolutely. Yes, a ton. Yeah, a, a lot of people have wondered that. It's just one of the reasons behind my company, Clear Communication Academy. See, I just did a hook right there. So yeah. I asked her a question. That was and perfect. then yeah. you, you answered it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you answered the, the question and then I'm like, well, yes, you have yeah. wondered that. So have others. That's why we have combined this, this, and this. So that would be an example of just creating a hook. It doesn't always have to be this infomercial type of thing. It can be a conversational question that you ask your, your audience. And then maybe your company is the answer to that. Or it could be using some sort of story. So I think that also has to be very intentional, though. You have to think about who your audience is. And sometimes maybe a little bit of the personality of the audience. Not every audience wants to maybe hear you telling a story right away. Maybe it's a very logical, technical audience. and you, So you need to hit them with a shocking statistic or number, then follow up with the story. So you, you have to really be intentional in thinking about you know, how much time do you have? Who is your audience and how you want to position your pitch? Yeah. You know, it's the hook. First of all, you got me. So that was great. Uh, I was, I was like, well, yes, I, I thought about that many times. What, what can you tell me? Um, <laughs> um, I think it is, it's interesting to think about how specific and intentional you really do need to be because like, you know, to go to the Wistia example, like Wistia as a company has changed a lot. Like we've been around for a long time. So who our target customer is, what the um, what the competition was, what was happening in the market has changed many times. The hook changes. I don't think there's one size fit all hook, even in a pitch. I think it's important to understand. I mean, you might have five hooks. You, you yeah. have the same company, yes, but you might have five hooks. You may have 10 different hooks, depending on uh, where you are as well. The, the hook you may use in a one-to-one -one conversation may be different than a hook you use for like a one-to-many, because if you're on a stage, maybe that hook you want to be more like dynamic or a little bit more dramatic than it would be if I'm just talking to you and I bust out into this like epic blockbuster story and you're like, um, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine there's a lot of people who are listening to this or watching this who have that feeling of like, do I have that? Have I done that? Mm -hmm. Like, have I been intentional enough? And I say that as someone who, you know, there's been a lot of time when we weren't intentional enough. 
And like sometimes we had a great hook and didn't realize it. And then we kind of lost it searching for the hot new thing. And yeah. then other times we've been incredibly intentional about who our target customer is and the different personalities within that. And then specific pain points that people have. And then trying to be crystal clear as to what the hook should be for each group. Uh, but it, it takes a lot of work is the point. Yeah. Yeah, it is a lot of work. I, I think that's why a lot of times I think people just go through the motions with their communication or their pitches because it's a lot of work just to be intentional and sit down and say, how can I go deeper? How can I be, I, I guess, a little bit more engaging? Those types of things require work, but I think the payoff is huge. And I don't think people have quite understood the full value of the impact you create when you're intentional with your communication and your storytelling. I'm talking about measurable impact that you can make with the just the things that we're talking about today. Yeah, it's kind of like the subject line of an email or something, right? Completely. You open it or you don't. <laughs> you can test, 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 and then you get it right. And you can have something that's yeah. like the open rate and the click-through on one is like 50% open rate and mm -hmm. whatever, 4% click-through. And the same message with a different subject line is like, 15% open rate and 1% click through. Yeah. The other thing that you're having me think about is this idea that the more we understand how things work, the more that all of the things that we're talking about become natural. So it's not that just now until forever, you have to pour two hours into figuring out a 30 second open hook. I feel like when you know everything and you know the structure of a story and you know what opening hooks are and you know your audience inside and out, these things become more natural even to do in the moment because sometimes things change. I might be talking to you, Chris, and maybe I asked you that question. You're like, nope, I never thought about that. I never wanted to be better. Then I need to... <laughs> then I'm like, oh, okay, I have one of these. Let me change up a little bit. And then you change to kind of something else. But knowing that and just the way humans work, where all of our personalities are not the same and we need to constantly change. Well, it's also, as you were saying that, it made me think about, there's also certain times that you can, you know, try a hook or a pitch. And if it doesn't work, you should feel good that that means it's not the right customer. Yes. Oh, that's a good, ooh, I like that. It's like, <laughs> if this... Now that's good, Chris. If this didn't work, maybe it's someone that's not aligned with the company or with the product or with the service. That's interesting. I've thought about that a lot in interviews hmm. or like there's been partnership conversations we've had and I have been purposely um, really crystal clear about things we're trying to do and, and or things we believe in. And the goal of that is that like, if somebody hears it and it turns them off, then they wouldn't be a good partner. Um, or I've, I've told that actually a lot to friends who are interviewing for jobs mm -hmm. is to say, you should ask questions of the company. If they don't give you the answers, then it's not a place you want to work. Yeah, that's that's true too. I guess we all kind of do that because I think of clients that I work with, the, it's someone who is open. If it's someone who's like, nope, I need to do this the way I always do it, then I'm like, I'm not probably the best fit for you because I'm going to push the envelope a little bit, like slowly, but I am going to help you push the envelope a little bit. Yeah. it's uh, To go back to like a Wista example, maybe we, maybe we can go a little deeper here, is uh, we used to say, don't you want to use video at work? Or like, want to see ways that video can be really helpful to your business? And that was the assumption that the market didn't know that video is going to be helpful, 
right? It was like, oh, we'll convince you of video. And then at some point as the market changed and everyone got more comfortable with video, there's a lot more video happening. We're like, we can't spend our time on this anymore. The market's mm-hmm. big enough. We should only focus on people who actually already have video. So then the questions and the, the approach switched to like, um, how do you make videos more easily? How do you get more out of the video you're making? How do you know if the stuff you're making is engaging? How do you mm-hmm. um, differentiate yourself with better videos? Like things like that, that were more designed for an audience that actually already has video fluency is sold on video, but they're looking for tools and products and companies to like take it to, the, to another level. Yeah, I love it. It's kind of like people who are on the sidewalk, those customers that they're already like hanging out on the sidewalk, they're ready for what you have versus the people that are like across the street that you're like, hey, come over here, you see me. So I I like this kind of idea of getting people who already understand. And this, I think the audience, it was a nice what you did here, Chris, because now you gave ways that that the audience can kind of understand how to shift these hooks and make them the more direct and the more relatable and more personalized you make them, the better sometimes they tend to work if you really are zeroing in versus it just being some kind of generic hook that you're using. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's something I'm thinking about a lot right now because Wistia of two years ago, I would describe as like video hosting and management platform, but like you didn't really come to Wistia to make videos or edit videos or to stream videos. And then now in the last year, we've added editing we've added recording, we've added live streaming, and we've made the product so easy to use across those different things that mm-hmm. Wistia has become this like all-in-one video marketing platform. And so the hook and the pitch is all evolving and changing, right? So it's like, are you using video a lot in your business, but it's like complicated or you're wasting time or you're wasting money? There's a bunch of different hooks in there. Mm-hmm. Or um, you're confused about how it's working or you need to enable more of it, then... Wistia could be a good fit to help you. But the way we're going to deliver on it now is like actually with the product versus historically, it was like the product with just a lot of content. Oh, I like it. You know what else you could do? It would be a good value story. If like you armed your team with like good value stories. So now you spoke to me about kind of the questions, but how would you wrap that up in a, in a story as well? That could be interesting of like someone who specifically used Oh, you're saying one, you find one specific, like create a story with one specific customer, for example. Yeah. Or a value in general. Like I would, I would say for, you could have a value story for each one of the things that you're mentioning specifically of like, here was a problem and it doesn't have to be from the customer's point of view. It could be from your point of view telling it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay. We're running out of time. So I have to ask also, in a world where we live now, where social media is so prevalent and so much of how we interact with people is online, how should how should everybody, how should marketers, how should leaders be thinking about what they need to do to be a great communicator in that world? You obviously need to use a hook in social media, but I do think the power of video is important. And I think now is a time to tell more sort of short stories or moments where People do get to see sometimes the behind the scenes or things that you're doing. Like I'm doing the event and I just posted something. It wasn't the most flattering picture, by the way. But I was like, oh, I'm here at the event venue. Like just things like that where people get to connect with real people. That's awesome. Okay, Lakita, what's next for you? What is next for me? Next for me is more travel 
So I got back from like five countries in the Middle East. I'm heading to Singapore in May. So I'm going back traveling and we are doing the storytelling event. But what's next for me is just constantly finding ways to connect with people. If I can share my message in different ways and just connect with people, like that's what I like to do. You're welcome to like hit me up on LinkedIn and be like, can we be connected here? Sure, we can. Like it's, that's fun for me. <laughs> and this explains back to the beginning why you're always so happy because you just do what you love. Yeah, I, I'm doing what I, what I love. It's great. Sometimes it causes a lack of sleep because I, mm. I, I literally wake up in the morning, especially on like event days where I have like big workshops or speeches. Sometimes I'm up like hours before I'm supposed to be because that's how excited I am. And I'm like, wait, it's four o'clock in the morning. Like go back to sleep. That's awesome. <gasps> Where can people connect with you? I, you said on LinkedIn. Are you on other platforms as well? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me, Lakita Clear. There's probably not another Lakita Clear there, so you'll see me. I'm on Instagram. Instagram is where I post like more fun stuff. If you want to see me like flying on the, you know, the swing in Bali, stuff like that, you'll find mm. on it on oh, Instagram. You, you can find that. That's your influencer channel, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where I'm like, I'm just posting what I feel like, folks. And you can also go to my website. But if you want to connect, like go on the channels that I'm actually on and speaking on and, and follow some of the content and connect with me. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Lakita, I really like her approach to how she talks about this stuff and even just like talking about the improv classes and, and getting people comfortable with it and really just the intention in all of this. And I thought she described it so well as like, you know, we all walk around and we talk. And so we think, why is this different? But it actually is to be in like a performance mode. And that requires intentionality to make that a skill that you can like really learn and, and use and get a lot out of. Totally. And you know, it's interesting. She comes from a psychology background and a theater background, and you can see how both are kind of working together in her approach. Um, I also just appreciate she is so high energy. She is yes. down to talk about anything. I was excited out the gate. I was excited. And I think like with public speaking, when you're learning that skill, you need to have someone like Lakita who's like shepherding you through it because you're just watching her and you're like, all right, I got to be like Lakita. I was thinking about that a lot because I wish I'd had someone to help me as I had to figure this out because I think it just took me a lot longer than I would have wanted to get really comfortable because it really is like I know I can tell a good story in a small gathering. Like I, I've known that for a long time. Like, Why can't I translate this into, you know, being on stage and it does take work and practice, but people who have done it before can help you through it more quickly. And, um, that definitely would have reduced some stress for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would be into taking a public speaking class or an improv class. I'm, I'm like comfortable ish on stage, but not for work, I'd say more for fun. Like yeah. I used to host a storytelling show. And it was great being up there. But it's because I knew exactly who my audience was, I knew what I was doing. 
I think in a work setting, I don't know, the pressure feels a little bit different. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it does feel different. But then like when you're in meetings and you're talking and if you feel comfortable giving your opinion, like Mm. why is that? Why is that any different? But it is. It obviously is. There's like a there's something psychologically and emotionally that is it's a different thing to have to present something to people in a larger setting. Um, Yeah. And there's I mean, there's lots of stuff we have done over the years at Wistia that tries to help people do that. Because it's so important. Like I hear all the time we do show and tells um, where anyone can get up and present on things that they're learning and do that remotely, do it in person. And a lot of times I hear people like, man, I got so nervous. It's like, but you're the expert at the thing and everyone's trying to learn from you and they already know you're the expert. <laughs> so it's like, but that creates pressure. And it's interesting because it's also the people who get up there and I'm thinking of one person in particular at the last onsite did this. They just start telling a story about their life that you would never even expect. So engaging, so interesting. It hooks you in this way. And I, I think what Lakita said also rung true for me was being able to actually share those personal stories is hard. So it's like, is my story valuable? And the truth is it is. But like, you have to take the risk. You have to put it out there to actually know that. You do. Yeah. Well, we'll keep trying to put our stories out there and you can tell us if you like them. <laughs> the best way to do that is by rating, reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to it. Every time you review it, it helps more people discover it. Um, if you have feedback for us here at Talking Too Loud, you can email us at ttlpod at wissia.com. You can connect with Sylvie and I on Twitter. Sylvie is give me the loot. I am C Savage. And we are, although these days, a lot more on LinkedIn. So come on over to LinkedIn, join the party. And uh, I think that's it. Is that it? That's it. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.